<laughs> you are ready to shred. I love it. Yes. Yes. Soviet precision there. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. Uh, I'm your host for tonight, Joel. On deck, we have Kim. Hello. Matt Hopkins. Hi. And a familiar face, but I guess you haven't been on for a while. Uh, Andreas Yankopoulos. Did I say it right? Yes. Hello. Boom. Boom. Uh, Amazing. I tried. Uh, Andreas, maybe your ears were burning. I was actually just talking uh, to Tyler Turner, or with Tyler Turner, about you not even an hour ago. Uh-oh. Only we good both, things, I hope. We both share the same opinion that we like you a lot. So, yeah, Tyler only says good things about you. Uh, so anyway, yeah. All right. Uh, you guys know the drill. Everybody comes here with a topic, show and tell. Maybe it's an AK, uh, something they did in <laughs> shooting. So uh, who wants to go first? Who has something interesting? Kim, you want to go? Uh, Kim had probably nice, has the most interesting. I'm not sure if it's that interesting, but uh, well, Ben's not here. So this actually was uh, talked by Ben first, uh, I believe. I don't know if Ben came up with it, but Ben was advising a couple CO shooters, especially in training uh, training group, to use tape to hide or block in front of the optics, tape on the front of the optic to actually force yourself to, you know, look at the target, basically target focus shooting, not focusing on the red dot itself. Mm -hmm. So. There's some, uh, actually he's been giving that advice a while ago, but I haven't just tried uh, because I don't think I have that target focus or dot focus issue when I shoot the red dot because it's been a while for me. Uh, however, SRO has some double dot issue in the sun. Mm -hmm. So the last sun came up in Washington state. It's never going to come back, but the last day of the sun in Washington uh, it was too sunny, and I I had the double dot issue. I got annoyed, and I was like, I might as well try what Ben said. So maybe see if that blocking of the front of the optic will eliminate that double dot issue because there's no sun coming into the window. So yes, it successfully eliminated the double dot. That was happy moment, and I was like, maybe I should shoot this uh, mm -hmm. with the tape in the front. So I actually shot it uh, before shooting it out of curiosity. I shot the same drill without the tape and then with the tape. Uh, in terms of time accuracy, I didn't see a, any difference. But when I actually tried it, uh, I started realizing, oh, this could have been really a good uh, time saver for me when I first switched to carry optics. Because when I first switched to carry optics, I was shooting production and also the first year I shot 50-50 ratio. So I was training both iron sight and the red dot. And what I believe at the time was happening was especially a lot of the more accurate, like a partial target, something like that, uh, I would stare on the dot. So basically kind of like shooting front sight focus in a way. And then when I started shooting uh, front um, carry optics 100% the year after, uh, I started realizing I wasn't really zooming into the target, meaning uh, picking a specific spot on the target and looking to it uh, with the correct focal depth as clear as possible. So I, I was doing that when I switched to 100% carry optics. So if I had known on the first year with a tape 
thing, I think it would have been time saver to learn how to, you know, really zoom into the specific spot on the target for a target focus. So in a way, I wasn't really doing true 100% target focus. I was just thinking, oh, I'm looking at the target, but it was more of a whole target than a specific spot, zooming into a spot. So that, uh, I think it's a time saver for people who's recently switching from iron sight to the red dot. I think that's something uh, you, people who's jumping into carry optics should try that because we see a lot of carry optics shooter now, especially <clears throat> switching from other divisions too. Like for example, if you don't want to mess with your open gun, clearing jam all the time, I see people moving in. I see people uh -huh. vision issue, older, usually older age people shooting, and also people who wants to shoot high cap. Now everybody's. Not everybody, but a lot of people are shooting carry optics. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one really good tip and uh, started giving out. So I, I think that was something I wanted to share. The experience I had with a tape on, uh, I was feeling pretty, that's a good idea actually to try. If you are not really doing a 100% target focus all day long, uh, whether if it's difficult or easy shots, you should be 100% target focus all day long for red dot. But I oftentimes see people like really zooming into the dot and basically visually uh, being lazy in with, shooting with the red dot. So then you're not really benefiting off of the red dot 100%. So yes. that's something I wanted to share. No, I'm glad you did. I think yeah. I asked you to talk about this in the past. So to kind of explain uh, again, what you're saying is either you put a paster or a piece of like paper over the the red dot and a, like a piece of tape or something so you yeah. can't look through the tube so when you're looking through your optic you see the red dot and then you see the paster or whatever paper you have behind it but you can't yeah. actually look through the tube to see the target exactly. so if you have both eyes open and i bring the dot up in front of my face one i mean you're going to see the dot and mm -hmm. you're going to see that little bit of brown but you're going to have to actually look at the target you're going to have to be target focused yes, and then bring the dot to where you're that. looking yes exactly yes so if you get tunneled in and you start staring at the dot, which like what you're saying, uh, I remember what you said, like we're over aiming basically where people tunnel, or I think you said tunneling yes. in. Good way to describe it. Yeah, where people like they stare at the dot and they want to look at the dot. But if you have that paster over the front of your lens, if you look at the dot, you're going to be seeing a brown paster. You won't even exactly. see the target. So it, like yes. what you're saying, it forces you have to look at a spot at the target and you have to bring the dot there. Yeah, you have to you, maintain the vision on the target. Yeah, because if you start tunneling in, you're going to be seeing a red dot and a paster behind it. Exactly. So it forces. So you. that's what, something I did is when I when I shot the drills, compared the time, and then I did extra experimentation where I would just bring my gun up with a paster in front of the optic window, mm -hmm. and I would switch my eye dominance a little bit, maybe the focal depth a little bit too. Mm -hmm. And in that case, uh, it was very confusing because, like you said, there's ob object uh, blocking. To see the target if you're using the right eye or trying to stare at the dot so in that kind of case you you're forced pretty much forced to use target focus maintaining the vision on the target to be able to transition and stuff yep. yeah my first couple of times messing around with the gun with the dot on it i thought i was being a perfectionist mm -hmm. and wanting the dot to stop dancing but what i didn't understand at the time was i was staring at the dot and that was the problem as opposed to looking at the target so yeah. And then I've even had uh, a guy that shoots at my club. It's very I mean, GM, very strong at shooting. I'm like, hey, you should do this just even if you're not doing it, just to try it. And he really liked it, just as some, you know, just something to try, even though he maybe wasn't having that problem. 
but yes. I think it's a really good idea. Yeah, I think it's a very good training tool. And even if you think you are always looking at the target, you can throw it on and if it does cause you to glitch, then you know that, well, maybe I wasn't as target focused as I thought I was. Yep. That's what I had yeah, when I first shot 50-50 production and carry optics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, totally. Matt, you're being awfully quiet. Yeah, so I actually did this when I was working through learning the dot also. I haven't done it lately, but when I was doing dry fire and early this spring, I actually did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Nice. I thought it worked good. I think it'd probably be interesting to go back and try it now. I might actually do it in a week or so. You should. I think yeah, I actually will. Like right after nationals, just go out mm -hmm. and try it just to see because mm -hmm. I'll still be pretty trained up for that. Just see what yeah. it does. Yeah. No, like I said, even guys that are strong at already shooting with the dot, I think it's just interesting to have them do that just as like a, just something interesting to try at the range. Mm -hmm. And I've been playing around with it a little bit in dry fire. So I think it's going to help with iron sighted shooting as well, that there really aren't a lot of shots where you need to see the a sharp front sight. I can I add a little bit on that. Oh, sorry, you can finish it. Go for it. Go for it. Okay. So uh, one thing interesting was actually when I shot 100% uh, iron sight, I oh, was sorry, 100% carry optics, uh, that year, which was last year, 100%, I shot one production match and I finished better than when I did 50 50 training. Oh, wow. Interestingly. Uh, so percentage was better placement at nationals was better so only one match i shot in production was nationals uh the year before i was i think i was 12th or 13th and last year was i think eighth so and percentage was higher uh one thing interesting thing is the ratio of target focused shooting was a lot more a pretty much shot every single target uh, except one stage uh, where you had to shoot more of a stand, what was um, the standing shoot, mm -hmm. like a classifier style where it was 25 yards, something like that. Uh, except that one single stage, I remember shooting pretty much every single target, uh, target focused. And my speed gotten better, yeah. Do you think that was because your skill advanced though? That is part of it, uh, but I really think. I didn't speed anything up in terms of transition speed or movement speed. In fact, my movement speed quite slowed down last year because I wasn't working on the physical aspect. But in terms of how much I confirm was significantly less on further or perhaps more tougher targets. So in a mini popper, I remember uh, until I went to carry optic 100%, my go-to confirmation was to see front sight basically changing the focal depth but in a especially like mini popper or any steel target i was still shooting target focused and that significantly uh slow i would gain time by not spending time to confirm the front sight changing the focal depth i think that was the biggest change uh, the delay even though the gun stopped before i was confirming then shooting but before now is basically shooting the fiber color and then shooting it on a proper level. It wasn't like I was transitioning more precise because I shot carry optics. I think I was transitioning precise whether I was shooting 50-50 or 100% carry optics. 
but it was just how much delay there was, even though the gun stopped. It was more when I shot more front sight focus. Yeah, yeah Matt, sense. sounds good. But Matt, right. when you say, right. um, isn't that part, maybe that's partially because your, your skills have improved. Wouldn't you say that shooting more target focused is a skill improvement? Because yeah, I kind of see that. Yeah, I kind of see that shooting with a sharp front sight focus is kind of your default, really safe way to shoot. And that with with iron sights, that seeing a nice sharp front sight, that's a very comfortable way to shoot targets. Mm-hmm. But it's also the slowest. And that doing a target focus is a lot faster, but it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little weird at first when you, when you first start doing it and, and realize what you can get away with shooting with a sharp target and blurry front and rear sight. Yeah. I like it. Kim, you mm-hmm. didn't let us down as usual. Something so interesting. I want to like just it. add a comment on Andreas there real quick. So I actually never shot target focus. Mm-hmm when I was shooting iron sights and it'll be interesting after I come off this, this two year run in with optics and see what that changes in my performance and my shooting. So that'll be very interesting to me. Yeah. Mm. It's probably more of a difference once you get my age and it takes longer to shift focal depth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, I, I think, think that's one of the big things that drives people to open like at the 40, 45 year old mark yeah. because they can't do that focal depth change. Yeah. It takes longer. I agree. Uh, well, Kim, you put up a tough act to follow, which one of you guys want to try? <laughs> I should have done with AK, right? <laughs> no, no, that was actually, I wanted you to talk about that. I think I talked to you about that in the past to bring that up. It's, I, I thought you were going to do the AK. That's why I suggested you to go first. Yeah. No, this, was, <laughs> this was actually very interesting. It's something that people should be trying. So, Smart things as usual. Well, I got a training idea as well, yeah. or something I've been fiddling around with. Sure. So we, we talked about doing dry fire runs in with your live fire runs mm-hmm. and kind of using that as a training tool. So I've taken an idea from that JJ's mentioned on some podcasts and mixed, started mixing some dry fire into my live fire runs. So picking some targets in a drill and only prepping the trigger on them instead of sending rounds. And part of that is just to conserve ammunition. So I'm trying to think, I try to get the most training value out of every bang. Mm-hmm. And the drill I was playing with recently was drawing the two steel plates and then running to a position, shooting a target as I was entering and then shooting the steel plates again. And what I realized pretty quick was like, I'm not really getting a whole lot of training value out of burning that close target as I came into position that was pretty much always able to punch two A's on it. Okay. So I just started prepping the trigger on it twice as I came into position. So still being honest, like I'm getting a nice, I'm seeing the the slide against the A zone, bang, bang, and then quickly transitioning over to the plates and then shooting those all the way through. So um, I'm breaking the shot to, to confirm whether I hit or not. And I didn't feel like I was losing anything, just prepping the trigger on that open target coming into position. And it still got me wound up. Like you're coming in, you're shooting something quickly, and then you're transitioning to a hard target. And that was kind of the point of the drill was doing that quick gear change from a burner target onto a eight inch plate at 15 yards where you got to be a little more careful. And 
Then I also did a couple runs where I didn't shoot both plates. I just prepped the trigger on one plate and then and shot the other. And I was still seeing issues in my grips shifting and trigger jerking and kind of like a little pre-ignition flinch. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. It's something I'm going to play around with a lot more coming up. Well, that's interesting. So, so like on the, so a plate, you bring the gun there and then you prep up the trigger to the wall right before it's going to break. Yeah. And then you just release the trigger. And then go to the next target. Yeah. Next target, you prep it up right before it's going to break. And then you just release it again. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And you kind of decide in advance, what targets am I going to shoot? And then what targets am I just going to prep up to the wall on? Okay. And you kind of go through and execute that. So you're kind of visualizing then which targets are going to be, you're going to prep yes. the trigger and not shoot. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so I've actually heard about this in steel challenge practice. So you know how a big thing is like first shot on steel challenge plate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people practice that, but obviously, as we all know, like just drawing and shooting one shot is different than shooting even a bill drill or like a El Prez with when yes. you're only shooting like one portion of it. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I've heard of is they'll draw up, they'll shoot off that first shot, but then they'll automatically transition to the second target because you're going to have a, def- a different grip on it if you're then you're just shooting one shot. So sure. I, I think it's a good idea. I like one shot, like point under a second draws or parlor tricks. They're not in matches ever. And if they are, the stage is horrible and shouldn't. Right. Be <laughs> but yeah, you could get away with murder on your grip with one for one shot. You don't have to grip it. Oh, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, I've not tried that before. So, so Andreas, how many shots out of the drill have you done? Have you done like an eight, eight round drill, but only shot like two shots on it or something? Or I haven't, I haven't gone down that far yet. Okay. But I kind of 50, 50. So okay. it's, it's again, I, I've just been playing around with this for in live fire for maybe two range trips. Now I've been doing it more in dry fire, like with uh, a Glock, once you rack it, you get one real drop of the striker. Mm-hmm, so you get yeah. one real trigger press and you get a dead trigger the rest of the time. So I've, in some of my dry fire drills, I've been setting up like, uh, if I'm shooting like 10 simulated shots, for instance, that I'll pick maybe one of the tight partials. And I'll say that the second shot on this, I'm going to pull all the way through. So you're, you're drawing, you point the gun, prep the trigger on a couple targets, and you're, you're verifying that you get a good, you're seeing what you need to see. And then when you transition to a, uh, to a tight partial or a plate or a simulated plate or something like that, you're pulling all the way through on the second shot and kind of verifying that your sights aren't moving or they're not moving enough to cause problems for you. And then you just transition off and finish up the rest of the drill with a fully dead trigger. So it does, it kind of also, I I feel like it tests a little bit of like, are you getting trigger freeze? that you're kind of pulling quick and hard on some of those others up to the wall. And then is, are, is your finger loose enough to pull all the way through on the, uh, on the one, on the one that you are doing live? Yeah, no, I can totally see that. Uh, interesting. I have not done that before. So that's advised for people who prep already. I don't, 
Hmm. Because, like, I personally don't prep the trigger. I don't think it has so, to be for people that just prep. No. Like, you know what it is, right? Yeah, you know where you know where the gun's gonna go bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I don't think it has to be more, a, like. It's more focused on uh, learning where the trigger is gonna go bang. Yeah. And making an accurate shot rather than actual prepping part. Yeah, I think that's what I think. Okay. I mean, I I know I do I do prep somewhat on if I'm transitioning onto a hard target. Mm-hmm. Like when I when I come onto a, a plate, for instance, the trigger is already partially back. Mm-hmm. But I'm really trying to focus. Like I'm not trying to consciously prep and then press. I'm more trying to take up some slack mm-hmm. and then just pull through. Smoothly, right, right, right. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm trying to train. Yeah, no matter what the do. shot, you never prep. No. Uh, so uh, you can act as a prepping, but how I have two different trigger pull techniques. So one is just I call it a uh, fixed pull or instant pull. So I I shoot five pound trigger. It's just fixed poundage all the way through, <clears throat> instantly. And then another one is gradual pull, basically accurate shot. I'm pressing the trigger in a way one two three four five boom kind of a manner. So in this case, yeah, if I pull it with when the pull is happening around one, two, three, four, it's kind of a prepped the wall area because I'm pulling it gradually. Mm-hmm. But I'm not doing like three or four straight and then prep, boom. No, no, no. I've tried that. There were so many ADs, especially when the hand tension is not realistically relaxed, like dry fire. Uh, cold, like over here, rains a lot. My muscle will not be as fresh as dry fire, warm climate. So that's just not consistent way to tr- pull the trigger. And especially like AD, it's pretty bad. I think so there's in, definitely yeah. a, I think with, with trigger prepping, there's definitely a continuum on that. Mm-hmm. And for me, I can definitely start like the beginning of the trigger pull a little early. So like as a gun is about to be aligned, I can start one, two, three, four, five, boom. In that mm-hmm. way, it can it can act kind of like a prepping trigger. But I'm not prepping in a way three pound, five pound, boom, kind of way. Makes sense. You're talking yeah, like we, you're not like, talking like pull the trigger halfway and then refining the sight picture and then going the rest of the way. No, it's just what gradual saying, pull. Yeah, it's like you go so, so it's a five pound trigger and you're going, I apply one pound, apply two pounds by three pounds by four pounds and you're just rolling through it like the hammer just keep coming back and then at some yes. point it falls is that yes. fair the speed yeah. of the trigger pull can definitely change yeah it depends on the difficulty of the shot you yeah, can be so, like so say instant almost so say you're doing a, a pretty wide transition onto a 20 yard mini popper let's say mm-hmm. so when you when your gun gets to that mini popper your finger is like not off the trigger. You've already taken up the slack by the time you get over to that mini popper. Uh, no, or are you, or are you almost, coming over to the mini popper and you're and you're not even touching the trigger yet? So that has to be programmed in the walkthrough for me. I program when to start if it's a gradual pull, when to start the gradual, the first one, two, three poundage ish, mm-hmm. almost all the time. It's not like in between the target transition. It's almost when I am about to stop on the target. Yeah. Yeah. That one, two, three can start as I'm slowing the gun down onto the target. But that's definitely not like completely outside of the target where it's like in the 90 degrees of 180 transition, if, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. You're, you're it, saying, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take you're, long. You're saying you don't prep the trigger as you're bringing the gun across oh, the target. Oh, no. Yes, oh. I would agree. I don't do that either. Yeah. It's kind the of first as, you're, time... as you're slowing in, maybe, as you're slowing in onto the... I like as you're refining the sight picture, especially if it was a double action, like on the, your example, a 25-yard popper. Mm-hmm. Like, the sights might be perfect, but I'll just, like, one, two, three, and I'm, like, as I'm refi- refining the sights, I just yeah. keep rolling through the trigger as I'm cleaning up the sight picture, and then at some point it'll go off. Mm-hmm. The prepping, the problem of prepping could be, uh, depends on the trigger, it may not be prepped at all. Like, some triggers are no wall there. And my first uh, gun, Shadow 1, uh, but used... It was so tricked out, there was no wall. It was mm-hmm. like a one yeah. pound and quarter. And then I took a class where the class told, the instructor told me I need to prep. And I just could, physically couldn't prep and I was keep ADing. Mm-hmm. So, and I tried to practice that and then I just decided this is just not going to work. Uh, this is really the gun dependent. And even if it's gun is properly set up, like I said, if it's really cold, your hand tension, maybe you're smoked with your hand muscle, then you may not be able to consistently uh, prep the trigger if you're doing in a way like four pound and then one extra pound cool yes. couple. That four pound is definitely not going to be always consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kim, I like the way you're explaining that because I actually do that also. I don't like if it's double or single, I don't like pull it halfway and then get what I like, and then go the rest. Like, if it's my Glock, it'll be just, like, my fingers touching the face of the trigger, and either the poundage, like, maybe it gets one, two, three, four, five, or maybe it's, you know, one to five is just pretty much now. But I have, like you, I have different speeds I pull that at. But the yes. pressure's getting, the pressure's getting applied at different speeds, but it's not yes. two, two and a half. Like, yep, I got where I want it, and then it's, like, the rest of it's now, because I always end up, like, the sights will go somewhere else, you'll push down on the gun. Yes. Is that a what fair way to describe- say it? Yes, what you describe is what I do. I do that also. I like that very much. Awesome. Because, like I said, I also like cleaning up the site. So if it's a partial, mm-hmm. and I know I've got five pounds, you could start rolling that. I know it's on the the sites are close to the target, but I'm just refining them or cleaning them up as I'm gently applying that increasing. Yes. Yeah, you you know that the gun's not going to go off immediately, and that you have a little bit of time. So mm-hmm. instead of refining the sights and then pulling the trigger, you're going to do both of them at the same time. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like never, never do things sequentially if you can do them in parallel. Too slow. Yes. Very well said. Yeah. Like you said, definitely I can change the speed of the gradual pull. Mm -hmm. Depends on how much I need to, you know, realign or something like that. Yeah. And if things go haywire, you can just stop. I've had that happen. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. All right. Hopkins, you're getting pretty quiet. I mean, I'm just thinking. So I actually yep. do it totally opposite. When I was shooting and have a hard shot, I'd definitely stop at the wall. Really? Like, depending on the shot, though, you don't have to. I think it only depends on if I need to do that, like, a super hard shot. And trigger type, I suppose, and weight, of, like, factors into that also. Yeah, trigger weight for sure. But, like, it's, it's more noticeable when I shoot in the shadows with a, a really hard, solid wall. Mm-hmm. And if I had to shoot like a 25 yard headshot or something like I would st- like it would stop at the wall and I would press through it then like it, it's like so the way I explain it to people like when I talk about trigger press like you th- you go to the wall and stop and that's where you pull the trigger like you just press through that and then like you cycle the gun and move your finger back to that wall as fast as possible. 
during recoil. So mm-hmm. when that's what I teach people when they're actually doing that. A certain yeah, a skill level, the... you you can just roll through like it doesn't matter, and certain yeah. target difficulty, no matter how heavy the trigger is. I shot strike of fire for a while now, and a lot of the strike of fire triggers are not just wall. It's even if there is wall, there's a little bit more distance to go through to the ignition. Yep. So yeah, CC nineteen eleven. I think those triggers definitely have a clean war wall. Mm-hmm. It just a little bit more movement, it will it'll fire the shot, but not striker fires most of the time. Yeah, there's a lot in a striker fire trigger when you really start feeling it. Like in the in a Glock, you kind of take up the initial slack, and then there's a little bit of, of there's a little bit of a jump, at least on mine, that I can feel, and then that then it goes off. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of feel the the uh, the, the sear really uh, scratching against the. Uh, the striker like there's a little bit of a jump right before it goes off and you can you can feel that if you're paying attention yeah um like my p10s shoot way different and feel different on trigger pulls uh they have a distinct wall right now but there's not a super amount of aftermarket parts to address that so hmm. basically all i have is lighter springs in my guns and stock parts everywhere else but there's still a distinct wall i can do it and go to it if i want to oh, gotcha uh who else has a topic matt yeah so this is something i've been thinking about so and get your guys opinion on it and i'll kind of explain kind of what i do what do you guys do after or what do you think about i not do what do you think about after you get done shooting the stage and i probably would i have at least two different answers to it and maybe one is closer to the same so if I come off of the stage and everything went perfect and I shot it exactly how I want, I will re-visualize the stage duplicating what just happened. Hmm. Now say something went went not exactly perfect or you know basically there was some hiccup or something like that happens on all of us. We don't all shoot perfect stages. So I will go back and re-visualize it doing it correctly. And if it's messed up and I have to go redo it correctly, I will do it, revisualize it more than once. What do you guys think? I I always give myself a couple of minutes to cool down after shooting a stage. That when I when I'm done, I'm either it went well and I'm I'm pretty wired up from that, or it went badly and I'm pretty angry from that. So I try to give myself a couple like a minute or two to cool down and stuff mags. And then I'll start doing what you describe. That if it's good, I'll start thinking about why did this go well? Like what what did I do well? And how can I make that happen again? And if there's parts that didn't go badly, and usually it's not the whole stage is a train wreck. There'll be like a I'll go to war with a piece of steel or I'll miss something that I should have hit. And I'll really try to think about that. Like, did I not program that well or did I program it and just not execute it? Or what what went on? Like, is this is this something I've been seeing a lot lately? And then um, I'll try to I'll do that, and then I'll try to just leave it and just kind of okay, this is the next stage. Start from uh, start from scratch and just and just do it. Just kind of leave the good performance or the bad performance in the stage where I shot it. 
Okay. Anybody else do anything? I do something similar. So basically, uh, I would spot if there was a mistake, I would spot that mistake uh, and see if I actually visualize that part correctly. So like Andrea said, if it was a correct visualization, but you weren't executing well, or if I didn't visualize well in detail and made an execution mistake, uh, if that second one was a mistake, then I would um, pay attention to that sector. So like fumble reload, then the next stage, I would apply more details in the walkthrough process. Not, But not, I don't visualize the stage I shot at the match. Uh, that's something that I do in training, like analyze the videos when I go, come back home and the mistake happens, and then I would train on that a little, paying attention to it. Joel, do you do anything like this? Um, I don't trust my my perception of speed or my feelings, so I try to just look at it kind of uh, what went well and what didn't go well, and kind of how do I just like, how do I kind of an overall feeling so I'll be like, man, that was really good. Or I'll be like, oh, I wish I was, I think I was a little too deliberate on this. And it's kind of just like a quick gut feeling. And then uh, I'll look at, you know, obviously look at the stage and see if my feeling was correct. And then I'll replay the video and think about it more afterwards. But kind of in that moment, it's kind of just a snapshot of what went well, what did not go well. Is there something, I, and like if something didn't go well, what should I have done differently? Am I not trained and prepared for this? Or is this something I didn't visualize? Was my plan not right? You know, where did I kind of fall down, so to speak? You do that on the range, like while you're reloading your mags and stuff. Yep. Okay. Cool. Because that, like, that's when it's fresh in my mind. If I'm like, man, I need to work on hitting steel far, far away. That was not. That really wasn't the best. Or maybe it was something that I was okay. I'm like, ah, I'm kind of deliberate on those. I want to. I might work on those in the future. I'd like to be stronger at that. Just kind of like mental notes, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh. Early on in the season, I wrote down big like takeaways from stages like that mm -hmm. I needed to work on. Transitioning the red dot was pretty rough, and like I had to like basically go relearn how to do it. So, what do you what do you feel like you get out of visualizing the whole stage again after you shoot it? Well, that's, not, that's something I don't think I've ever done. I visualized it parts reinforces of it. It a good thing. run, so it reinforces in your mind a good run. And if you mess something up, you know how they say, like, they can't tell the difference between a visualization and something actually happened, right? Yeah. So if you mess something up and you revisualize it and it's correctly done, you're now remembering it correctly done and not remembering the mess up part. Interesting. I, I think that's a very good point to yeah. uh, kind of, I guess, reoccupy your mind with positive stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, is that called like positive reinforcement or something like that, right? Yes. And uh, I used to do that, but now I, what I religiously do is as soon as I'm signed up with the score sheet, uh, my mind is on the next stage. So I don't even do like positive or negative because sometimes uh, my experience is when I feel positive or like, oh, I, I smashed it. And if I... Just one thought is usually okay. But if I linger on that and try to think about what I did on a good sector, then I kind of neglect on the next stage. So all I just do is sign the sheet and just start visualizing the next stage. Maybe perhaps like take a look at that next stage if it's visible from if it's next bay. I would take a look and that's the stage plan. And I start immediately starting on the visualization for the next stage. 
Yeah, it doesn't take longer than from when you're walking to the score sheet and then walking mm-hmm. to your bag and then you're done with it, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't stick around and do it like until we're off the stage. Like It's literally like one run, reinforce it, or like mm-hmm. three runs, doing it correctly and visualizing it correctly or fixing any errors that you had. So pretty quick. Matt, I like it. Uh, coincidentally, my topic goes well, uh, quite well with yours. Uh, unless there's anything else you want to talk about. No, that's good. Uh, I want to talk about like suggestions for reviewing your own video, which is kind of like what you're saying, like remembering those feelings. So I think the hardest part is so you, you know, you get your video, you take it home, throw it on your computer, looking at your phone. The hardest part is looking at it as though it's some random dude shooting and not getting super tunneled in and remembering like, oh, I remember this, this, you know, my my grip or some little grip panel or some little like nonsense. Uh, so I think it's really important. Like when I'm first looking at my video, it's just some random dude shooting. And I'm just like, are there anything big that jumps out at me? Just kind of watching the stages through. And then if I see something huge and it's like, holy crap, like this needs to get addressed right away. Um, but under the assumption, maybe you don't see anything big. Um, then I'll, I'll just kind of watch it through and I'll look at one specific aspect every time it's playing. So for instance, let's say all my state, I got, you know, five stages and there's like one long video. I'll be like, Hey, let's just see if the gun's up. How do, when's the gun up? And I'll watch through the stages and just see like, as a trend, is the gun usually up early? Does it seem like the gun's always late to come up? Kind of what's going on and then i'll watch it through again i'll watch my feet hey are my feet always flat on the ground are they shoulder width apart knees bent how am i stopping does it look like i'm sliding like a cartoon character or i put on the brakes too hard that kind of stuff or am i standing on one foot while i'm shooting i didn't really realize i was doing that but i think sometimes people and i've done this guilty of this myself is like when you watch the video it's so easy like your mind just keeps bouncing around like a ping pong ball in a garbage like a tin garbage can and you can't really focus on one thing so you're trying to take it all in but it's like there's so much happening you can't you don't really know what you're seeing unless there's some big ticket item that jumps out at you so i really like looking at one very specific thing like i'll just watch the muzzle the whole time and just watch the gun how does the gun recoil well it looks like it really flips a lot on hard shots but then on fast shooting it's really not flipping but if I'm like watching the whole picture head to toe, you might not pick that out. So I like looking at really granular details and then looking for trends within that. So that's helped me a lot. Yep, I totally agree on that. So like watching the overall stage run, it's hard to pick out some things. But if you watch your feet for like three loops of the video, you can definitely pick out something there. And then you could watch your hands and like different stuff like that. So I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. The looking at the specific thing is actually proven by uh, sports scientists. So really? When I, okay. Yes. When I first started training hardcore, uh, I started studying about training. So Olympic trainers, I watched a lot. So sports scientists, there's many videos on YouTube now. But one of the thing was very interesting. They were saying 95% and 5% versus 5%. So 5% is de- definitely dominating what they were saying. The reason why is, for example, that there were example um, on bodybuilders and versus a uh, gym rat. So what the <laughs> difference is when the bodybuilders actually train, you know, for mm-hmm. example, bicep curl, they're not just like listening to music and going reps and reps. They actually specifically look at the bicep muscle and try to isolate that muscle. So visually confirming on the specific spot 
actually develops the nervous system to connect with the physical body. So by looking at, for example, in shooting, one like flat foot is one thing that you described. Definitely that was one of the sectors I worked on in the beginning. Uh, when I was looking at the video, so basically I would do a one run that I think I'm doing correct. I would video that immediately after that I uh, watch it, uh, specifically looking at the foot area. And then if I'm not doing it, I'm trying different things to actually verify visually and basically learning the feeling of the control of those muscles. And video verification actually syncs my brain and my body. So what I think happening is actually happening, but a lot of times it's not if you didn't go through the process. So specifically reviewing on the spot, uh, it definitely syncs your brain and gain more control. Definitely a good idea. Yeah, I like it. Otherwise, yeah. yeah like like I said, so somebody just looks at like the big, the big video of shooting, like, oh, look at the targets. And then like, oh, look at the shooter. And oh, look at the gun. Then oh, look at his feet. And it's like, when you get done, you didn't really like pick anything out. There's nothing actionable from that. It's just exactly. entertain. It's entertainment as opposed to really studying it, I suppose. Yeah, it's like doing bicep curl and just looking at your whole body versus staring at your bicep and really focusing on that. It will give you a better bicep, beach body muscle, better grown really good muscle there rather than a big bulky yeah stuff beach beach body by kim i see a yes. website coming on yes stare the body parts <laughs> i mean with the looking at the overall thing i try to look for tension mm -hmm. or just where things look uncomfortable i think that's one of those things that after you've been shooting for a while when somebody's tense you just know Mm -hmm. And you can see that in your own video. And that that's usually a sign that if I dig deeper, there's going to be something else shows up. Yeah. So if you like if I'm looking my through my video, whether it's a match or it's some practice that I'm doing, the parts where I'm where it just looks like I'm flowing through well, there's probably not a whole lot to be gained there. But when I catch parts where I look uncomfortable or tense, then that's usually a sign that we need to maybe kind of go slow motion or frame by frame and start really seeing what's happening because there's usually some something else buried in there, whether it's maybe I'll see the the gun slipping more in my grip than I should, or the, the stance is a little bit off, or there's, there's something that's going to be bad, or maybe I'm looking at the front sight instead of the target, or I'm, I say like, I'm, I'm not looking ahead at the target. Like I'm not getting my eyes to the next target before the gun. There's, yeah, there's usually something when I, when I'm tense or if I'm reviewing video for somebody else, when they start looking tense. I concur. And That's kind of a sign to dig. So training group, uh, some mem a lot of the members actually video their uh, video for a review purposes, but we advise them to actually review it immediately after your run. And a lot of the members that way, uh, just improvement growth speed is a lot higher. Absolutely. Oh yeah. But I, I, I always try to get a couple videos of runs while I'm at the range practicing and I'll look at them there and just see, yep. see what's going on. Yeah. I'll just set my table, my phone, like on a table leaned up against an ammo can or something and just let it roll for like five minutes, you know, empty all the mags in my belt and load them again or something like that. And then I just kind of like watch it all as a big aggregate and not try to look for one that was really just amazing, but like, Hey, what's going on over and over. Mm -hmm. 
And this is a good way to prevent going through reps and reps without learning. Yes. Yeah. It's a very effective learning uh, tool. I agree. Well, guys, I think we should do a question. All right. Hopefully a gear question, right? It is. He wants to know what pound recoil spring for a shadow two. No, he doesn't. Uh, 13 pound recoil spring. No. You told me, you told me 12. 11. You told me. Sorry, 11. You said 12 and a half. No, that's just 11. for the real gamers. I don't tell that 11, secret a lot. 11 and three quarters. <laughs> that's the, I mean, that's the GM ticket there, Joel. I didn't, don't know why you just said it out loud. He said, cut off a quarter of a coil. <laughs> from a 13 yeah that's yeah. how we get it to work okay perfect uh okay question being a taller shooter i have started to realize that i struggle with shooting through ports is there a specific training program or fitness program i should focus on to get better at this or does it just boil down to setting up a port and shooting through it every week thanks for any help this person's uh like six eight six ten something like that so obviously, none of us are qualified to answer this except for Kim. Uh, I was just going to uh, kick it to Kim uh, first because he'll okay. just knock it out of the park. I'm not that tall. I'm six four. It's four inches shorter. <laughs> yeah, but none of us have six in front of our height. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there's yes, just like he said, the fitness is definitely going to be a good factor, especially when you go major matches. Uh, the thing is. You do the walkthrough, and if you feel like your legs are tired after multiple walkthroughs, when you're shooting, it's going to be even worse. So the fitness is actually really important to maintain the endurance. Uh, fitness is one thing, like strengthening, basically, uh, like lunges, sing any single leg uh, workout stuff, squats, stuff like that definitely helps. But another thing is, if you regularly work out, uh, I personally think more important thing in a low port situation is not the strength at that point. It's actually uh, the muscle tightness or how flexible it is. So what I do is I bring my foam roller to matches, every major matches. So I would foam roll the day before so the muscles are not tight. Because even if you have strength, if your muscles are tight, uh, of course, potential injury and you can still feel a little bit shaky in your legs. So being actually relaxed on your muscle is, I think, most important uh, if you regularly dry fire or perhaps even fitness thing. Uh, in terms of actually shooting through the port, uh, of course, practicing that is a good idea. But one thing really need to pay attention is a shoulder angle. So when you squat down, typically your upper body can go really forward. Uh, in that case, try to use your lower body to get a little lower rather than leaning forward to get lower. Because what happens is if you lean forward, uh, your arms are towards the target. But since the upper body is leaned out, it's uh, just like as if you're standing straight and bringing your arms all the way up. So the angle of the arm and the upper body, the greater it gets, you will immediately feel the shoulder tension. You can simply stand up and bring your arms up. And at about like 100 something degrees, you'll feel the shoulder tension building up. Uh, of course, tight shoulder uh, definitely can affect your recoil management, target choices and stuff like that. So especially for tall shooters, uh, try using the lower body as much as possible to get lower rather than leaning all the way forward and having your shoulders all tight. Kim, That's my you, advice. Didn't even need the rest of us here. Kim just knocked <laughs> it out of the park. 
But I'll, what I'll add to Wanzik's comment is if the issue is simply being able to get low enough into the into the port, then I mean when I when I get up in the morning, I'll do five to ten minutes of stretching. I'll just kind of go downstairs, turn on the coffee machine, and just do some stretching and mobility work for five or ten minutes. And I think if somebody's having problems with uh with hitting ports or leans or whatever that just doing that in the morning will help out over time. So there are a couple of good resources on the web. If you look up, uh, like there's a guy, Max Shank, who has a five minute flow thing that he pushes and there's some demo videos that he has and just riffing off of what he has there, I think is a pretty good start for anyone that's looking to get more flexible over time. I like it. And yeah, then, yeah, add on to that everything that Max Shank. Max Shank. Yeah, S-H-A-N-K. Okay. And then, yeah, add on all of Kim's stuff with the foam rollers and, and such. Professor Kim, we call him. Professor Kim, yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last thing to add is yeah. uh, don't be afraid to go one knee down. Uh, both knee down is definitely substantially slower than uh, squat, low squat, or one knee down. Uh, if you are touching both knees down, it's going to take a long time to get back up. But if you practice and do some like burpees and squats and stuff, if you have low squats where both feet are onto the ground or one knee down, mm -hmm. one knee touching the ground, as long as one knee is around 90 degrees angle, coming back up and moving to the next uh, spot, I experimented super low squat versus one knee down. In terms of shooting, you definitely help reducing some of those angles and be more comfortable when have one knee down for tall shooters. But the speed itself of going exiting the position, there's not much of a difference because one knee yeah. is 90 degrees ready to go. So practice something like that, then they can help you decide if you have to just squat low versus one knee down. That can be a good deciding factor. I'm not that familiar with burpees. Is that that thing that you get if you drink like soda too fast or something? <laughs> no, nothing. No. It's the one you do push up and stand <laughs> up really that's, fast. That sounds terrible. Why would, you do, why would you do that you to yourself? Nope. Oh, on that note, guys, I think it's time to call it. This was a bang up podcast, I think, though. Always. Yeah. I think we're good. Uh, listeners, if you have a question you want the answer to, or if you want to ask Matt, how many uh, coils to cut off your recoil spring? Go to Ben's website, bensticker.com. Send him a question. We would love to hear from you.